0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God. Amen. Um, so, uh, this man goes uh, to the doctor, and he tells him he's talking with the doctor, and he's having his usual checkup. And the man says to the doctor, he goes to him, uh, you know, I, I need to tell you something about my wife. So he says, uh, "Sure, tell me." He says, um, he says to him, "I think, uh, I think my wife is, you know, I think she's hard of hearing." And so on. He says, "Okay, well, you know, next time when she comes for her doctor's appointment, I'll I'll uh, I'll talk to her, right?" Uh, and he said, "Maybe in the meantime, you can try to find out for me how hard of hearing she is. So stand like at the other end of the kitchen and say something, and it, and if she doesn't answer you, then take a couple of steps closer and say it again, and you know, take a couple of steps closer and say it again, and until she an- until she answers you, and then you'll know that she she can hear you, and you can know like how far." You know how poor her hearing is. And, and let me know. Right? So he goes home that day and he says, says to her, Honey, what's for dinner? And it's no answer. So he takes a couple of steps closer and says, Honey, what's for dinner? And there's no answer. So he takes a couple of steps closer. Honey, what's for dinner? So a couple of steps closer. There's no answer. So finally walks right up to her and he was like, shouts in her ear, Honey, what's for dinner? And she's like, For the fourth time, roast beef already. <laughs> right? So sometimes we think other people are hard of hearing. But maybe we're the ones who aren't hearing things very clearly. Maybe sometimes we think God is hard of hearing. How many of us here have ever felt like God is not answering our prayers? Maybe God has been answering all along, but I'm the one who can't really hear things very clearly. So in light of that, let's talk a little bit today about how to hear the voice of God. And I asked the guys to rearrange the room for us a little bit because this is not something which is this isn 't like a, a like a lecture um, in a in a university hall. This is something that this is something that like a father teaches to his son or to his daughter or this is something that I learned from somebody on a on a very personal level. so some of you have asked me these questions in spiritual guidance, and you may find that the answers are repeated because like it's all I have, like all I can share with you is what I is what I know. But try to imagine the context instead of being like, you know, us sitting in like this kind of, this kind of arrangement, that we're sitting and we're talking one-on-one, we're sitting and having a cup of coffee together and or a cup of tea together or we're going for a walk together and you're telling me about something, some decision in your life you're trying to make, right? And you're trying to hear God's wisdom and God's guidance to you in that regard. So, as an introduction, God doesn't want His will, His communication, His participation in your life to be a mystery. God takes no pleasure at all from, by, uh, from uh, like evading us or being elusive. Or It's not a game of hide-and-go-seek, right? God does play hard to get sometimes, but He doesn't play hard to get in this department, right? Um, because every relationship is based like a big factor in every relationship is communication, right? So, um, oftentimes uh, in, in amongst friends or in a romantic relationship, one person will be hurt by the other. And then the person who's hurt will want the other person to know why that they're hurt and to come and apologize specifically for the thing that they hurt them in. That is a non-starter. It just doesn't work, right? To To, to want to communicate more... And to do that by not communicating doesn't work. What If I want to communicate more, then I need to guess what? Communicate more, right? But but, but by saying no, I want her to come and to guess that I'm upset and to guess why I'm upset um, and to apologize for why I'm that just doesn't work. And all of us feel that way. And we want, when we, when, we, when, we, when we do that, we're doing that because we want to know that the other person is connected to us. We feel disconnected from the other person, right? And if the other person can, you know, know why I'm, that I am upset and why I'm upset, then that means that they're more connected to me than I think. That's, what we, that's why we do that, right? But the solution is to strengthen the connection, Right? Not to distance myself from the other person until they, you know, like get a divine revelation from heaven or something, or, or you know, uh, uh, or get like a fortune cookie that tells them why I'm upset with them. Right? So I'm telling you, this is like ba- this is like basic hu- human relationship communication advice. God wouldn't do that with us. God wouldn't say, well, they should come to me and tell me. And they should be able to guess from me. doesn't work like that. God wants, He wants us to communicate with Him and He wants to communicate with us, right? And we're going to talk about specific advice um, about that. God is the one who's always the one reaching out to us right in the parable of the good shepherd he goes after the sheep in the parable of the lost coin the woman goes looking for the lost coin with the, with the with the in the parable of the of the prodigal son the father goes he sees the son and he runs out to him. God is the one always doing this outward action. That's why, for example, like at our parish downtown, we really believe that the overwhelming majority of the congregation should be involved in outward ministry, in outreach ministry, in going out to people. People tell me, when well, I don't really serve, I don't do anything at church, but that person is serving uh, a thousand people outside of church. That's what God wants, is the minority of people that their service is to care for the flock. Right there's one shepherd and a whole bunch of sheep. Right, those sheep are supposed to be looking for more sheep, and the shepherd is supposed to be caring for the sheep. Right, M- my humble estimates is ten to fifteen percent of the church should be involved in pastoral care. The other eighty-five to ninety percent of the church should be doing outreach and should be outward focused, just like our Savior is outward focused. He is reaching out to you. He wants to connect with you. He wants to speak to you. He is seeking you. Right, so. How can we then believe that? But I'm not never supposed to understand him. But I'm never supposed to be able to hear him. Doesn't make sense, right? The two are incompatible. Now, hearing God is there's two parts to it. Ninety percent of it is our disposition, okay? Or for the lack of for of a more for to have a better word, more colloquial word, a word that we use more. Ninety percent of it is our attitude. of it is technique. We're going to discuss both. Our first session together is going to be all about the attitude, and the second session is going to be more about the technique. I think actually discuss the technique in both, but anyways. So let's start with uh, with attitude. I have just a quick little video that I found really cute that I thought I'd share with you guys. You don't need the sound, but... the box <laughs> so you know it's up to each one of us what attitude we want to have. The circumstances that will come our way will come, right? And if you want to see someone really inspirational, talk about how God wants to change us, not our circumstances. He'll change us, and then we will change our circumstances. You can look up all kinds of videos about Nick Wojcich, um and uh, and I had some another video, but for the sake of time, we'll We'll skip it. We could watch it in the break or whatever or something like that. So let's look at a few Bible verses showing God's desire for His, for His voice and His will and His communication to be known to us. So that we can try to dispel this idea that God is supposed to be like a mystery, you know. So here's, here, here are some of those verses. If you have your Bibles with you, open to these verses and, so that you can, you can read them and you can follow along, underline things you want to underline, write notes and stuff like that. right? So in Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So here you find St. Paul is commanding us to understand what the will of the Lord is. Like it's not optional. It's not like, you know, uh, like, and as you grow, may you know more and more what the will of the Lord is. Or he's, he's saying this, he's saying this to, to all Christians, like to those who are bishops in his time, right? To those who are like apostles and to those who are newly baptized. He's telling them, he's commanding them, understand what the will of the Lord is. If God's spirit is alive and working in you, there's no reason why you should not know what the will of the Lord is. It's what St. Paul is saying, right? And it's a commandment. It's not It's not, uh, It's not. not like, it, take it as serious as, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery or thou shalt not murder or thou shalt not whatever, right? Take it as serious as that, right? That God wants us to know and to understand what His will is. He doesn't want us to live in the dark. Here's a question for you. How many people, show of hands here, okay, Quick show of hands. How many people here have ever, okay, but be honest now, had a good idea in your life? Show of hands. Have you ever had a single good idea in your life? Right? At any, any, at any point in your life, have you ever made a correct decision in your life? Just one. Ever. Okay? As, as expected, like I was expecting that most people are going to put up their hand. Right? Well, St. James tells us in his epistle, chapter 1, verse 17, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good thing comes from God, from our Father in heaven. Every good idea that you've ever had, every good decision that you've ever made, Came from him, And when we talk about technique a little later, we might talk about how if you look back at some of the decisions that you've made in your life, you'll notice that for some of them, the, the, the trajectory of the decision making is not logical. Like you were walking in one direction and then all of a sudden you took a different direction, right? And when you go and you examine w- why did you change direction at that point in time, you may or may not find that there's a logical reason why you did that, right? And as you examine, as you examine, look back in history and examine that time, you may find that there was some subtle suggestion to that. Oh, but why don't you look into this as well? I remember, uh, uh, so I did a master's degree during my surgical training. And one night, I was on call, um, and I was getting killed. Like, I was getting, like, new patient after new patient after new patient, and they all needed surgery. And I was exhausted. And it just occurred to me that I was thinking that maybe next year I would want to do a master's degree, so maybe let me just look and see when their um, application deadlines are, right? And so here I was, like, just, you know, getting something quickly to eat before I go see the next patient that I have to go see. And I'm, I'm, like, looking on the computer, and I find that the application deadline for... The, the master's degree that I wanted to do, but I wanted to do it somewhere else. I wanted to do it at another university, but if I wanted to do it at UBC in like Vancouver, the application deadline for it was actually the next day. So it just happened that I found so so I sent the program director an email. I looked like looked for an email, it was emailed program director. So I sent them an email like literally at like eleven thirty at night saying um, oh, you know, I just stumbled upon this master's degree and so on, and I'm actually really interested in uh, in this. And the, but there's like, I'm actually on call at St. Paul's Hospital right now. There's no way that I'm going to get an application in for tomorrow. Is there any way that I could have like an extension to the end of the week or something? I think it was like a Tuesday or something. So I was asking for three days. Um, and I sent the email. I said, whatever, whatever happens, happens, right? The idea just popped into my mind. Like, why not look? I was procrastinating, like, doing, like, my work, like, that I should have been doing, right? Um, and, uh, and then, uh, so he replied back to me the next morning and said, sure, just come see me and we can talk about it. So I replied back, like, I'm, I'll be free this afternoon. Should I come this afternoon? And he replied back and said yes. So I finished my work at the hospital in the early afternoon, went home, took a shower, and I went straight to go see him. So he's chatting with me about why I want to do it and this and that. And then at the end of our conversation, he said, okay, great. So uh, that's fine, you're in. And I'm like, you're, I'm in what? I'm in like, like I'm, it's okay if I can do like, hand in my application? He said, no, no, you're in the program. If you want to do this master's, you can do it, right? Uh, and that was it. And I'm like, so do I still need to like... Do the application or whatever because I can't get it in by today. By now it's like three thirty four in the afternoon, right? He's like, oh yeah, yeah. He goes, yeah, 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 yeah. You should do it because like uh, the like all the bureaucracy and the people and whatever they'll want like some piece of paper on file. But just write anything it doesn't matter and you know what I mean and and uh, and just submit it, right? So what, huh? Uh, sounds a lot like my master's. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so what what was it that made me you know suddenly think in the middle of the night to look look this up right and it turned out actually to be like one of the best years of my life doing that masters degree was a lot of fun and it, it was it, it was it was a lot of work but it was a lot of group work and i kept Kept, kept getting put in these groups with people who hate presenting. So I would they would do all the work and I would just present it. They, they, they'd come over to my like apartment like the night before and like a big presentation and like explain everything to me. And, and I'd keep offering to help do to do work, like to prepare. And they would say, no, 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 it's fine. As long as you're willing to present it, that's good enough. And answer the questions, you know. So God really, really blessed me, right? But think think of the good decisions the things that have gone well in your life how did you end up there how did god lead you there by hand and try to find try to find what are the patterns of god's behavior in your life. How does God deal with you? Because how He deals with you might be slightly different. It's personal than how He deals with me and how He deals with the person next to you and the person behind you and the person in front of you. Right? Because God loves you and He knows you and He wants to deal with you in your own way. And that means that God has been speaking to you and you have been responding appropriately all this time. You just didn't know it was Him. You just didn't know it was Him. Right? So, what else, in, these are some of my favorites in first John chapter two, verse twenty and twenty seven the same thing is repeated. He says, "But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things what that what 's that word anointing that word anointing in greek is is charisma like the word charisma means anointing when you say somebody's charismatic right uh, you know we, we typically don't mean it that way, but it means It means chrism, like the holy chrism, like this speaking about our receiving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit which you have makes you to know all things. Verse 27, it says, But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. It's saying that the anointing which you have received, the Holy Spirit which you received in the, in the second sacrament, sacrament of Chrismation, the Holy Mayroon, He dwells in you. And He is the one who's teaching you everything. And you don't need anybody to teach you anything actually. Right? So then, what am I doing here? Aren't I standing here and teaching you? No. My goal as someone who is preaching or teaching or whatever is not to teach you something new but the Holy Spirit has been teaching you what you need to know all along you just don't know that it's him so I'm trying to take the spotlight and put it on what God is doing in your life that's what I'm trying to do Jesus says right that when when the comforter has come he will remind you of all of the things which I told you right so He is the one who is teaching you. He is the one who is reminding you. He is the one who is guiding you. You find like if you look at the life of Christ, starting from the Annunciation, the whole way through to Pentecost. Pentecost, an hour receiving the Holy Spirit, that is like the climax. Like we oftentimes think that the cross or the resurrection is the climax. And everything after that is, you know what I mean? That's kind of how we... That's kind of how we, we celebrate it, you know? Like there's Easter, and then there's the Holy Fifty Days, right? No, the climax is actually Pentecost. And we're going to talk about that, like that's the next, next slide. But before we get there, look at this for 2 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. God has given you a down payment, a deposit of heaven. And that's His Holy Spirit. When you uh, go to do some major transaction, like buy real estate, you can can go see a house, a condo, or or whatever, and tell them, I want to buy this. I'm going to buy this. 100% sure, I'm going to buy this. Your word means nothing until what is attached to it? Huh? Yeah, a deposit, a certified check, right? Until there's something that's usually five digits attached to it, it means nothing. It means absolutely... You can say from here till kingdom come that you want to buy it. If the, somebody walks in right after you and they and they put money down, now we're talking, right? God knows. God knows that we're not very uh, trusting. And He's given us a down payment. He's given us a deposit. He's given us a guarantee of the kingdom. He's given us a guarantee. And that guarantee is your relationship with the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite verses in the Psalms that we pray in the Igbeya is in Psalm 40 in the third hour, right? And it says this, it says, By this I know that He is well pleased with me, that my enemies have not yet overcome me. Sometimes I experience the, 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 the seeming absence of God like all of us, right? Right? You feel like God is... God has gone on holiday. Maybe it's unlikely God has gone on holiday. Maybe I'm the one who's gone out on holiday. Maybe God has written me off. Maybe I'm a write-off, you know? I'm a total loss. God wrote me off, right? King David says, yeah, you know what? I felt that way before too. That I was a hopeless case. But I'll tell you what? I know that God is not pleased with me. God is well pleased with me. In what? In that He has not yet let my enemies overcome me. Right, God is trying to convince you and to convince me that He has given to you the kingdom. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure, good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It gives Him good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Right? what, what is there out there to con, to keep us t- convinced, to keep us certain that God is, is still has hope in me and still has a desire to be in relationship with me? is my day-to-day, my moment-to-moment interactions with His Holy Spirit. The fact that He's still talking to me. Look, if, if somebody really, you know, you have a really good friend who you trusted so much and you love so much and has been so good to you, right? And then they have betrayed you. And you feel so upset and so whatever. And you just think to yourself one day, you know what? This friendship is just not worth it to me anymore, right? What are you going to do? you got to write them off, Right? you're not going to be impolite or whatever but you're not going to you're not going to initiate you're not going to call them or text them or, or or go out of your way to be in relationship with them they talk to you be polite cuz you're a, a nice person and you'll leave it at that right if they betrayed you they really hurt your feelings and whatever but you still call them you still ask about them you still that means you still care that means you're still investing in the relationship you haven't you haven't washed your hands of it God wants you and me to have an active relationship with His Holy Spirit, living inside of us, speaking to us, guiding us, directing us, right? So that we have co- constant reassurance that God loves us and that God is still very, very much involved in our lives, that God is still very, very much invested in us and that He has put a big deposit in us and He hasn't, he hasn't uh, written us off. Okay, this is uh, uh, an excerpt from a book called *The Gift of the Holy Spirit* by Father Tadros Malti On I think page thirteen, did I? Did I? Uh... And he's quoting like Father Tadros is writing some stuff, and he's quoting from Saint Cyril of Alexandria's commentary on John one one thirty three. I think it's on page. 13 or 18 or something of that book. It's towards the beginning. You'll find it if you look for it. And the book is called The Gift of the Holy Spirit. So Father Tadros says this. He's explaining. He's saying Saint Cyril of Alexandria clarified in more detail on the role of the Holy Spirit in the church of the New Testament. This is uh Abuna Tadros writing about St. Cyril's commentary on John 133. 132 and 133, which says in in Jesus' baptism that the Holy Spirit came and descended and remained upon Him. So all of this, he's talking about just that word that the, the Holy Spirit remained upon Him. Right? And this is what he's explaining. He stated that the Holy Spirit in the Church of the New Testament, so he stated that Human nature was corrupted in the first man, Adam, and all men were deprived of paradise and of the Spirit of God, the source of their life and goodness. The Son of God, who took our humanity, enriched our nature by His Holy Spirit. He is never isolated from the Holy Spirit, for the Spirit is His own, one with Him, and the same in essence. So what he's saying is this, is that, Jesus received the Holy Spirit when Jesus was baptized, not because He needed to receive the Holy Spirit, but He received the Holy Spirit to enrich our human nature. Because when He was incarnate, He was incarnate with our human nature and with His divine nature making up one new nature, which was both human and divine. But the human nature with which He was incarnate was our human nature, right? Not the human nature of Adam and Eve before the fall. Jesus was incarnate with a broken and sinful human nature, although he, never, although he never sinned. But He was born with a human nature which has a propensity towards sin, a tendency towards, a leaning towards sin, just as much as you and me. Otherwise, temptation would have not have any, had any power over Him, right? But then would not have overcome temptation. Right And St. Saint Saint Gregory says, that which is unassumed is unhealed. And that's a conversation for another day. But what, what he, he's saying is that because Jesus was born, it was incarnate with a human nature, which was l- missing some stuff, right, S- such as the Holy Spirit, he received the Holy Spirit for us. But what is, Who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God, is the Spirit of Jesus. So didn't Jesus already have the Holy Spirit? St. Cyril is explaining and saying, yes, He was never separate from the Holy Spirit. It's not, he didn't receive something which He didn't have. He received something which He already had, right? But He received it as to enrich our human nature with it, right? Through the Incarnation, this is the second paragraph on the slide, through the Incarnation of the Son and His redeeming deed for us, the Holy Spirit renewed our human nature, lives in our souls, and guides us towards the bosom of the Father. Right? So now that we've re- we have also now are following in Jesus' pattern of behavior of receiving the Holy Spirit. So He received the Holy Spirit to create a pattern of behavior for us to receive the Holy Spirit. Right? And now He's explaining... He's going he's to quote from St. Cyril specifically. When the word of God became man, he received the Spirit from the Father as one, of, as one of us, not receiving aught for himself individually, for he is the giver of the Spirit, but that he who knew no sin might by receiving the Spirit as man preserve him to our nature and might again restore in us the grace which had left us. For this reason I consider the Holy Baptist profitably added, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven and he remained upon him. John one thirty two. For the Spirit had fled from us by reason of sin, but he who knew no sin became as one of us that the Spirit might be accustomed to stay in us, having no reason to leave or to withdraw in him. Right. So Jesus received the Holy Spirit so that we could also receive the Holy Spirit and keep him in a in in a, a sustained way, if you look in the Old Testament, you'll find the prophets had a vi- visitations of the Holy Spirit came visited them and left right. And you find like for example, King David in Psalm 50, which we pray in, in all of our in all of our prayers right. Um, King David says, "Take not your Holy Spirit away from me." So King David knew what it meant to receive the Holy Spirit, but he also knew what it meant to lose the Holy Spirit, and that was very sad for him. And that's why he prayed and said, "Take not thy Holy Spirit." Away from me. Right? So the Spirit would come and visit them and go. And that's how they received divine inspiration to inspire the Scriptures of the Old Testament. Right? But that's not what is happening with Jesus here. He received the Holy Spirit and He kept the Holy Spirit, remained upon Him. And you in Holy, in in, in chrismation, receive the Holy Spirit and and the Holy Spirit is kept with you forever. Like we were saying in the previous slide as as a guarantee. Right? And he goes on to explain. And then so you can see from what St. Cyril is saying, like, who is going to, like, how are we going to come back to God? through repentance and confession and communion, not only the, 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 the sacramental side of it, but the life, a life of repentance, a life of coming to God and confessing our sins, a life of communion with Him, as well as, of course, the sacraments, right? How are we going to get to repentance? Who brings us to repentance? Well, like, like uh, St. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, he says, Do you not know that it is the goodness of God... That leads you to repentance. So it's God who brings us to repentance. So how are we going to repent without God? Right? If, if, if the Holy Spirit could not remain in humanity because of our sinfulness. Right? So who's going to bring us to repentance? Who's going to bring us back to God? Right? So there had, be, there had to be a perfect human to receive the Holy Spirit and keep Him for the rest of humanity to create a new pattern of behavior that we would all receive the holy spirit as well and keep him and that the holy spirit would become would become the the open door for us towards repentance and towards confession and towards living a life of communion with Christ that's what it's all about right and that's why this receiving the holy spirit this is this is this is like the highest level, this is the apex of the story of the, of the life of Christ. That's why Pentecost is, is the feast of feasts. Like, the resurrection leads us to the ascension, leads us to, to Jesus entering heaven, and to the, to, to the Father giving us the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. Each thing leads to the next, to the next thing. right? And each thing is important in and of itself. But, right... So, fine, Abu that sounds really good, and I believe you, and it sounds all like really nice, that God really wants me to be able to hear His voice and to have this two-way communication with me. But the reality is, I can't hear God. Why can't I then, why can't I hear God? I'm going to propose a few suggestions. One is, I think we need to pray a little bit more persistently. Jesus many, many times suggests that that our prayer is not, it's not like a one-stop shop you know like when I used to work with people before and like people who are under me and stuff I would expect that if I said something once that was good enough right and I quickly learned that it's not right even if like someone is like risk of being fired if something is really that important you probably need to repeat it more than once right And you probably need to suggest allude to it more than once and I was reading in another book um, a few months ago, right? And he was talking about uh, praying with persistence. And he was saying that if the thing that we're praying about, if we really feel that that is the be-all, end-all of our life, then we really feel that really, quite frankly, life would be meaningless to live without this thing, right? So then there's, there's, there's nowhere else for me to go other than to be at God's doorstep and, and pray and ask Him, for this thing like many times somebody uh, is having surgery and in the measure of my ability I go with them I go with them to their operation I usually hang out with the family in the surgical waiting room and stuff until the surgeon comes out and tells them that the operation went okay or whatever hopefully operation went okay everything was good and blah 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 and this and that right you know why because the family is usually really stressed out during that time and so on and frequently if it's a very long operation and it like crosses lunch hour I'll tell them let's go down to the cafeteria and get something to eat and so on and so on I can tell you it's the minority of families that say, Yeah, sure, let's go grab some lunch and whatever and we'll come back. Why? They have no appetite. Why? Because all they want to see is that surgeon coming out of the operating room telling them everything went okay. Right? And to them, they don't feel hungry, they don't feel thirsty, and I'll go get them food and it'll just sit there, right? And and they won't touch it, right? Why? Because they're ungrateful or because no, because. To them, there's, there's only one thing which is needful right now. There's only one thing they need. They need to know that their loved one is okay, right? That's the only thing that counts right now. The only thing that counts is that, right? If we have that attitude in prayer, for sure we will pray a little bit more, a little bit more persistently, right? Um, and that's the second thing, that's the second point there, that we need to pray like everything depends on it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a moment. So, the third thing is, also, I need to learn how to hear God's voice in the little things. Frequently, frequently, people come and ask me for, for advice and guidance and they want to hear God's voice and they want to know what God's will is in, in the big decisions of life. What should I study? What career should I do? Should I take this job or not? Should I marry this person or not? And so on, right? Should I move to this town or not or what? You know, and if I'm not in the habit of listening to God and hearing His voice, and I haven't developed that part of my relationship with God in the little things, when the stakes are very high, it's not impossible, but it becomes a lot harder. Never believe that it's impossible for God to reach you. Always, always, always it's possible, right? But it's just maybe a little bit more challenging. If you look in Luke 11, the disciples go to Jesus and they tell Him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So Jesus teaches them the, the, the Lord's Prayer, um, uh, and, and I'm sure you're familiar with that, right? But after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, in the Gospel of Luke, he says a parable to them. He says to them, Which of you, having a friend, if you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend... Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and you will, it will be given to you, seek and you will find, Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and he who knocks, it will be op- to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So let me let me tell you a couple of details about this parable to help us to understand it a little bit better. Jesus is saying he tells a story that a guy gets a guest in the middle of the night and the guest says doesn't have anything to put before him. So he runs over to his neighbor and says give give me something to offer to him. So just so you know like in like Ancient Middle Eastern tradition It was very common And even until now It's very common That if somebody is coming from travels That you offer them a meal Because they probably didn't Haven't eaten for God knows how long Every time I go and visit my in-laws The first thing like that happens When we walk in the house Is like the, the final preparations Usually the table is already set And food just comes out of the oven Hot And we sit and we have a meal Right? And um, it's, you know, it, and it's nice. Even if you're not hungry, it's nice. Um, right? But this guy says he has nothing to set before him. That was shameful. Like, it was a sign of poverty. It was a sign of, of, of weakness. It was a sign of, you know. So he goes to his neighbor. Now, his neighbor probably could give two pence whether he has something to set before him or doesn't have something to set before him. It's أنا مالي Right? No that's not true. Why? Because his neighbor was in all likelihood someone who was closely related to him. So people lived in villages and they lived, you know, families all together and so on, right? So whatever was shameful to him was a shame to the whole family, right? So Jesus is saying that if his friend or his neighbor wouldn't get out of bed out of being a good person, being a good neighbor, being a good friend, he would at least do it to, he would at least do it to save his, his own name, right? He's saying, if he doesn't do it for all of that, he would do it because of persistence, right? So, you also, you also be be persistent. Now, I want to ask you something. The, the guy who got the visitor, who went knocking on the door, do you think he knocked once? Oh, I think they're sleeping, you know? I don't think so. If he knocked that lightly... I'm sure the second time it was a little louder and I'm sure the time after that was a little louder. And I'm sure after that was like and then I'm sure after that was like, Hey Joe, Joe, wake up right and I'm sure after that he would have tried to kick the door down. Right? You know, I'm sure I'm sure that he I'm sure that he wouldn't have taken no for an answer. Why? Because no was not one of the available options of this multiple choice question, right? The available options are give me something to set before him or give me something to set before him, right? And we need to learn how to pray that way. We need to learn how to pray that way. About our jobs, about our work, about our studies, about our, our life, about our relationships, about... Yeah, about all those things. But Jesus is telling us something, Right? He's telling us that this applies most to your relationship with His Holy Spirit. He's telling you, pray like your life depends on it. Like the only options of this multiple choice question, God, are I'll hear your voice, or I'll hear your voice, or I'll hear your voice, or A, B, and C are all correct, or all of the above. Those are your options, God, right? You choose, right? That's the that's those are the options on this multiple choice question, right? And quite frankly, like the person sitting in that surgical waiting room, I've got nowhere to go. Like because what am I going to do when I okay, I'm in my in my room praying, I'm alone with God. And I prayed and I asked and I prayed and I asked and I prayed and I asked and it seems like nothing's happening. What am I going to do when I leave here? I have become fully convinced and convicted that I can't do anything of myself. So if I'm not going to take you with me, what am I going to go out of here to do? I can't do my job properly without you. I can't study properly without you. I can't have holy and helpful relationships with people without you. I can't really do anything without you. So really, there's no reason for me to get up and go from... Where am I going to go? Like, I'm going to go from here to where? I'm going to go to school. But you can't do anything at school anyways. I'm going to go here, I'm going to go to work. I can't go to work, any, I can't do anything, right? So God, basically your options are to answer me, or to answer me, or you, you want, if you want it to take a week, you can take a week to answer me, you can take a month, you could take a year, but really I've got nowhere to go. I've got nothing to do, and I'm just here, right? That has to be, and that is, um, and that, may God give us that kind of persistence. Not persistence, Mina and I were talking in the car about nagging not persistence like nagging na- nagging god persistence like like quite frankly if we're going to just be really logical i've got nowhere else to go and nothing else to do if i'm not going to take you with me because every good and perfect gift comes from you so if i don't know how to hear you and i don't know how to communicate with you then what's the point of me le- leaving your, your your presence. Look, let's be honest. For those of us who struggle to do our quiet time in the morning, or or, or to have time with God in the morning, or to pray in the morning, to to be with God, this is what I tell myself to encourage myself. If I can't find God in the quiet of my room, do you think I'm going to find Him in the busiest busy, busyness of my day? Highly unlikely, right? So if I care at all to to be with God at all, it's got to start. It's got to start in the morning in my quiet place with Him. That's what I tell myself to encourage myself so that I, I can't tell myself, okay, I'll, I'll look, I'll, 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 I have a break between this time and this time, I'll read the Bible then, or I have some time later, I'll pray at that time. That never works, you know? It, ne- it never works, right? The problem, the problem of why we can't really can't hear God is because there's too much noise. So where does this noise come from? comes from four places, okay? There are four influences upon us. God, the devil, the world, and ourselves. When I say the world, I mean society, societal norms, what, what is considered normal around us, right? And obviously, the only one of all of these influences which is reliable is God, right? All of the other ones are very likely to lead me astray. The good news here is this. Two of them are really easy to get rid of. The devil and the world. And we'll deal with those first. I'm a low-hanging fruit kind of person. Whatever is easy to do, I'll do that first. Right? And sometimes the things that were hard to do look easier after you've done the thing, which is easy. Right? Unless there's a reason not to. Right? So let's see. We can get rid of the devil and the world very easily. Let's see how we can get rid of those. St. James says, Submit to God... Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And of course in this picture, the devil is a woman, obviously, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh no, my wife isn't overseas anymore. <laughs> oh my goodness, right? Right? More, more of the verse says, Therefore submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts you double-minded. What's he saying? Let's take this verse from the end to the beginning. He's saying, you're double-minded. What does that mean? That means, that means this. That means that I'm trying to lose weight, and I'm being very careful what I eat, and I'm doing the low-carb thing, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and whatever, and I'm doing good. But then somebody says to me, hey, you want to go for sushi? It's all you can eat, this and that. And I say, you know what? You've been really good all week, right? And all of a sudden, I am of a second mind, Right? And then I go and I have sushi, right? And I I stuff my face silly, right? Now, the story would be almost okay if it ended there, right? The story doesn't end there. The story then I go home, right? And I think to myself, why did I do that, right? And then I beat myself up for what I did, right? So I go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And in the end, I'm never happy. Like St. Paul says, Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself in what he approves. I honestly want to make like t-shirts that say this. Like it's just good advice. Like if you want to do all you can eat sushi, man, do all you can eat sushi. Stuff your face silly and be happy for it. You know what I mean? Right? But don't like, don't don't one day say this and the next day you say that. That's just a a recipe for misery. Right? You know, and you don't need to be a Christian to, to understand that. Like this is just good advice. You know, just decide what you want to do, buy into it, and just do it, and don't do other things, right? And and Saint James is saying that's not what we do, right? We listen to God a little bit, and then we listen to the devil a a little bit. And guess what? When we listen to the devil a little bit, we feel guilty because we're not listening to God. And when we listen to God, the devil comes and tells us, "Oh, you should listen to me. You should listen to me." Right? So Saint James is telling us we got we, we we got to we got to do some we got to clean up house we got to get our our, our mind in one place so that we don't drive ourselves crazy right and what does he suggest to us he says to submit to god resist the devil and he will flee from you we often have like we see the icon of St. George right and he's like on the horse and he's like slaying the dragon and we have this idea in our mind that like I gotta slay the devil like I gotta kill the devil like like I've gotta like we're gonna have an arm wrestle right and somehow I've gotta beat the devil that is wrong okay I'm not saying the icon of St. George is wrong the icon of St. George is beautiful right but this idea in my mind that I have to overcome the devil I've gotta conquer the devil that's 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 not biblical. That's not in the gospel. Jesus says, He who endures to the end shall be saved. You know, I remember once calling uh, uh, my friend Mark Dawood after um, a med school exam and I just passed by the skin of my teeth. It was the only exam that I got like 1% above the passing grade. Right? And I was really upset. I was, I was unconsolable. I was so, so, so upset. So Mark says to me on the phone, he says, hey, what do you call somebody who just, just passed their final like medical school exam? And I said, what? He said, doctor. <laughs> right? Doctor. Right? So it's good enough. Maybe next time you'll do better. Right? But it's good enough. He who endures to the end shall be saved. Just, just stick it out, right? Just resist the devil and he will flee from you. It's enough that the temptation comes to you, you say, no, I'm not going to do it. The temptation comes to you, no, I'm not going to do it. The temptation comes to you, no, I'm not going to do it. The devil will leave you. Maybe not from the first time, maybe not from the third time, but if you resist, just resist the devil, he will leave. he will flee from you. He will flee from you. He'll run away from you, scared. Hmm right? Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. So to get rid of the world and to get rid of the devil is these two things. Now just something to be mindful of. Our conscience is not the Holy Spirit. We oftentimes get the two confused. Our conscience is a product of who we are, right? So all your life people have been telling you what's right and what's wrong and you have conglomerated all of that into your conscience, and everybody has a conscience, Christian and not, is God's gift to us, one of God's great gifts to us, is that we are conditionable, right? But that means that your conscience is also conditionable. So you start to see people all around you doing stuff, then you will naturally, your conscience will start to say, maybe it's not so bad. Just uh, while I was in England, I was reading some beautiful contemplations about Psalm 50. And he was talking about what's the same. The, the, the King David uses three words. He says, sin, transgression, and iniquity. What's the difference between those things? Transgression is willful disobedience of God. Right? Now, willful tra- disobedience of God leads us, if you do it once and you do it twice and you do it three times, what does it lead to? It leads me to thinking. Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's not so bad. Or it's a sin, but I don't have to repent of it right now. Right? The first time you do something that you've never done before, you're like it's like the end of the world. It's like, I can't believe I did this. Oh my God. The first time you cheat on an exam, the first time, whatever. Right? And you think to yourself, the world has ended. You know, God will never accept me again, this and that and so on. You feel terrible. Right? And then, after the second time becomes a little bit okay, the third time becomes a little more okay, right? That's iniquity. Iniquity is that I have now accepted sin in my life. And sin is, the umbrella term for all of it, is to be off the mark. I've accepted to not be to not be on track with God. that's iniquity, right? And so our, our conscience you know, all your life, your parents are teaching you how to do good things and do right things. All that got, got put into your conscience. So you, when, you do something wrong, when you do something that your parents t- told you not to do, you feel bad, right? And I can see my mom glaring at me, you know, like when I'm doing stuff, right? Although she's like, you know, five hours away, I can see her. like big eyes glaring at me, you know what I mean, right? And that's good. And it keeps me, it keeps me out of trouble. But that's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is different, Right? So what we're left with is the self and God, right? Now speaking a little bit about the self, and I'm going to kind of be a little quick. One of my favorite verses that I quote all the time is the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9, right? And this is where like one day we need to do a retreat or a series or something on the difference between what God says and what the world says. The world says, believe in yourself. The Bible says, believe in God. The the, the, the the world says trust yourself right the first principle of spiritual life is distrust yourself trust God right what does this verse mean in like in plain English Jeremiah 179 it means that of all the people in this room the most likely person to be able to lie to me successfully is me like you might try to lie to me but I'll catch on to you. You'll be talking, I'll look away, I'll, eh, this, that, whatever, you'll stutter, you know, right? Some people are, you know. But, who, who can lie to me and get away with it almost every single time? Me. So who should I be a, a little bit distrustful of? Me. And every time I think that I'm going to do this and I'm going to this and I'm going to that, I should be a little bit worried about that. Proverbs twenty twenty six: 26, who trusts in his own heart is a fool. The Bible is just like, you know, the, the, the world tells you, follow your heart. The Bible tells you you're a fool if you follow your heart, right? The Bible does not try to dress it up at all. It's clear as plain as mud, right? But whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Other beautiful verses, Psalm 53, verses 2 and 3, and so on, right? More more verses Proverbs fourteen twelve, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs three, five, six and seven, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Psalm eighteen thirty, and so on, and so on. Lots and lots and lots and lots of evidence that if something is coming from me, I should be I should be a little bit suspicious of it, right? Now there's some promises as well, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land. Feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust also in Him and He shall bring it to pass. Throw yourself into God's care and into His arms and trust Him. Right? The opposite of trusting ourselves. Psalm 21. Thou hast given me that has given him his heart's desire and that has not withholden the request of his lips. Psalm 145, 19. He, who, he will fulfill the desire of them that fear him and he will also hear their cry and will save them. John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my birds abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done to you. Right? So, the summation of it all is we need to run to God and to flee from ourselves, to flee from the world, and to be thoroughly convinced that myself will lead me to destruction. And I'm going to suggest that we wrap it up there, although I had a little bit more to go, and we'll add the end of this to the next talk. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. There's some questions. Yes, so the world tells you you're inexperienced, so you should become more experienced. That's still relying on yourself. I'm not saying that experience is useless, right? But like, I noticed something. Like, I noticed something and I wasn't sure. I noticed in spiritual guidance that oftentimes people would come to ask me something and I would rely on my own experience. So I went and asked my spiritual father, is that right or wrong? he smiled and he looked at me and he's like so is your experience applicable to everybody and is everybody else's experience applicable to you of course not right so God wants us to rely on him first and foremost always right yes our experiences will form our conscience will form our um, understanding but the problem is like and those of you who are like psychology majors in the room and whatever you can correct me feel free to pipe up but our, our ability to remember things is very limited and we actually like our ability to remember things is very much colored both by how we feel right now and how we felt at the time so if I'm telling you a story that happened to me when I was 12 years old I remember that differently if I was happy at the time it happened or I was sad at the time it happened and I will remember it now differently whether I'm happy or I'm sad now so, people are like, no, I'm sure this and this happened. Dude, I don't trust my memory for, for bits, right? So, we have experiences, and I'm not saying we should neglect them completely, but we should certainly put our trust in God, right? And you're saying how to do that practically, that's my next slide. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. So, we'll talk about like like very very practically how to get rid of the self and the world and the devil we 'll talk all about that in the next talk so that I don't I don't kill you. Any other questions? Yeah Yeah, for sure Try to project yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Was it like specifically praying for the Holy Spirit, like praying to God? Yes and no. So this "ask and you shall receive" business is very painful for some people because they ask God for things that were very deep and meaningful to them, and they feel that God did not did not hold true on his on his promise that "ask and you shall receive." I asked, and in quite in fact, I did not receive. Now there's three possibilities to that one that I was asking for the wrong thing and that that wrong thing either that Jesus is only referring to the Holy Spirit in this passage um, but I don't believe that that's the case two that I'm asking for the wrong thing asking for something that's harmful to me or to others which God wouldn't do right so that's one, one another possibility is that God answered my prayer I just didn't notice right so I was I was looking in the wrong direction right? God, please help me to find my keys, help me to find my keys, help me to find my keys. I'm looking in my car. And he took my keys and he put them on the kitchen counter, right? So their keys are there, right? But God, why didn't you help me find my keys? Well, because you're looking for your keys in the wrong place, right? Um, he put them in plain sight, took them out from under the couch and put them on the kitchen counter, but I'm looking in the wrong place, right? So those are all different things. Now, about the asking you shall receive thing, does that apply to all of our requests at large that are not harmful, yes or no? I'm not sure that I have a very a perfect answer for you about that. But the opposite is, does it apply to the Holy Spirit? Absolutely yes. Because Jesus clarified and specifically said that, right? I'll tell you this. God really, really, really wants us to know Him and to love Him for who He is. And sometimes the gifts that He gives us get in the way. So sometimes He's a little bit slow to give us because the thing we're asking for will make us love the gift more than the giver, right? And that, that's, not an un, that's not an uncommon thing, right? Another thing also is that sometimes we're asking for things that are far smaller than what God wants to give us. So I'm praying and I'm asking like this, but God wants to give me like this. The natural thing that happens when I pray and I ask like this is that I ask like this, then I ask like this, then I ask like this, this, right? Sometimes my expectation of God is too small and what God wants to give me is is far greater. Or sometimes just asking for the wrong thing, you know? And that's actually, we did, uh, um, about a year and a bit ago, we did a retreat retreat for like um, Sunday suppers and St. Peter's Mission and all of that. It was open to everybody uh, about actually just about this passage of, of uh, Luke 11 um, and we talked about unanswered prayer. Uh, so we can certainly talk about it more. But that's just like the headlines. There were other questions. You you. Expect the worst in what regard? Uh, so you have a decision coming up and, and uh, it comes down to like, the possibility of something being accepted. It is it okay to have the mentality of expecting the worst so that the outcome can become better? Or does that show like a lack of faith? Can I be very honest with you? Um, if my If my expectation and my desire is in the thing, then I'm wrong to start with. Let me give a, a very simple example. You know, an exam. You have an exam, you pray and you ask God to help you because, you know, your whole life hangs in the balance of this exam, right? So, is it wrong to expect great things to happen? Because if you expect great things to happen and they don't, you'll be really disappointed and so on, and right? I want to tell you that The problem is that I feel that my whole life hangs in the balance of this exam, you know? And not that my whole life is in God's hands. So my answer would be, expect God to do great things and to do great things for you, right? Just don't limit Him in what those things are, you know? And expect always that God is always victorious on your behalf. That God is always blessing you. That God is always loving you. That God is always rewarding you. I'm going to tell you something. This is the most strange thing in the world. God rewards me most when I'm least faithful to Him. Why? Because the goodness of God leads me to repentance. What does God want? For me to get a high mark on this exam or not a high mark, God wants me to repent. God wants me to come to Him, right? So it's when I've been least faithful to Him I find God blessing me the most. Now, this isn't like license to be to, to, to go mess around, fool around with girls, do this, do that. God, so God can bless me, you know, right? Fool around with at least three girls on the night before any exam. That's exactly that's, that's why I went to the retreat with the Buddha John. That's what I understood. <laughs> <laughs> right that's not what i'm that's not what i'm saying right that's not what i'm saying right but but um so let my expectation let my desire let my thoughts be about what what god is doing and what god is doing in my life not not so much about Of course, the giver and the gift are intimately related, right? But let me try as best as I'm able to shift my focus towards the giver and away from the gift, you know? But always expect the giver to do fantastic things for you. I tell God, I tell God, God, I'm expecting you to like blow my mind. I'm expecting you to knock my socks off. Like if I, if this is just like another retreat where we have a nice time and we, uh, we just have a good time together and I get to know some people more and, and we build deeper friendships and this and that and everybody goes home, then I, 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 I want nothing to do with this. I'm, God, I'm expecting you to knock my socks off. Right? There were other questions. Break time. Break time. God bless you. Glory be to God forever and ever, amen.